leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Thank you, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. But today we have a special edition. Um, with everything happening in the world, I thought that it would be helpful to have someone come on and talk about some of the things that we could be seeing in social media. And as we talk about social media as one of the ways to get into the industry, I wanted to bring on John to talk about misinformation within social media and potentially how we can identify that. But before we get there, um, if you're on LinkedIn, please ensure that you follow myself and John. If you are on YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe and then that notification button. And if you're following us after the fact on podcasts, share it with all your friends and family. We love to have you in cyber. Um, so John, uh, how did you get into misinformation and how would you define it? Sure. So I, uh, I've had a long career in it. I began at the JFK Special Warfare Center in school as a psychological operations specialist in 2006. I was a tactical soldier in Iraq in 2008. Um, I was the chief counter propaganda analyst for United States Forces Iraq out of the palace in Baghdad in 2010. I was the atmospherics manager for Kandahar in 2011. And then I was the liaison officer for the atmospherics program to combine Joint Psychological Operations Task Force and pretty much all of ISAF in Afghanistan in 2012. And I was the Director of Cybersecurity at Flashpoint from 2013 to 2015. I've been an independent security contractor working on this and other cyber issues since. Wow, so you, you mentioned a couple of big words and we wanna make sure that our audience can understand. Um, you mentioned psychological warfare. Uh, what, what is psychological warfare? Psychological warfare is, it's uh, currently called PSYOP, Psychological Operations, or MISO, Military Information Support Operations, depending on which generation you come from. Psychological warfare was one of the original names, it, not necessarily the original, but uh, people from the Vietnam era will understand it. And psychological warfare is easy not to confuse with the psychologist. Um, so psychological warfare is just easy for people. Uh, people hear about it as PSYOPs as well. But uh, the mission statement for psychological operations for the U.S. is to persuade change and influence the hearts and minds of foreign nationals to meet U.S. objectives. Okay. 
So how, how does one go about doing that? The, there's a seven-step PSYOP process, and this is fairly uniform across NATO countries. The, uh, the process involves understanding what sort of missions that the Secretary of Defense or, uh, or the President all the way up, what does the commander want? It all starts with the commander's intent. Um, oftentimes that might be to, uh, to get the Iraqi people to, to not blow us up as a relatively simple one. Um, or if you're Russian and you want to, say, influence the 2016 elections, it might be to uh, create distrust the U.S. electoral process to disrupt and degrade Hillary Clinton's ability to govern and to promote Donald Trump should he win. Ah, interesting. So y you mentioned like to promote distrust and um, lose faith in a system. How, do how does one go about doing that? Sure. So first, the way that those those missions come down, those objectives are decided by leadership. Those are the civilian leaders that figure out what those are. How that happens, there's a seven step, there's a seven step psyop process. So you initially start by figuring out who your potential target audiences might be, who can actually do the thing that the, that the leader wants you to do. Um, telling a bunch of Iraqi women to lay down arms is probably not super useful. Um, but telling military age males, ages 16 to 25 to do so, you might get a little more bang for your military dollar. Um, so you start by identifying who the target audiences who can achieve the objective might be. Then you move into what's called target audience analysis. And this looks quite a bit like market research, um, very much, uh, PSYOP and marketing. Uh, have some of their original basis in Edward Bernays' book, Propaganda, way back when. Uh, I think it was the 50s or 60s. Um, so you're going to see a lot of the same things, just with slightly different terms. Uh, you do your market analysis on your target audiences. Once you have an idea of uh, all the conditions and vulnerabilities that affect target audience, you start drilling in on lines of persuasion that might influence them to do something. Uh, say you want to influence a group of Iraqis to report on IEDs in their neighborhood. Um, and you're discussing it with the, the females in the area, the, the moms and dads, the, the moms particularly because they're at home all day and have, are more apt to see people laying IEDs in their neighborhood. So these mm -hmm. are the people that we're targeting. Um, these, these are the conditions that, that we really have to get to know the target audience in order to understand. Um, then we find a line of persuasion that would really tug specifically at the conditions and vulnerabilities that affect them. If we're speaking about the mothers of Iraq, it's a good chance that they have a strong concern for their kids. IEDs are dangerous for everybody. So maybe we can, as a line of persuasion, your children would be safe if you uh, if you were to do this. Now, that's a, uh, that's a very general idea, but you also have, uh, you, you look at appeals um, and techniques on top of that. So you're glittering generalities, you're less of worse evils, um, yeah, best of two evils sorts of situations to to move from there, and then you develop the best methods to 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 discuss to to deliver that line of persuasion to the target audience. Um, so a lot of the to continue with the example we were using, a lot of Iraqi females were illiterate, so pamphlets with a bunch of words on them don't do so hot. Uh, pictures might do a lot better, or if they have radios, maybe a radio message. Maybe they have uh, access to TV. What TV do they watch? All of this is part of that initial research into the target audience. Uh, what is the best method to get that line of persuasion into their hands? So once we have the line of persuasion, once we've done our due diligence on who these people are, then we start generating the product in order to, 
to communicate this message to them, be it a radio ad, be it a book, maybe it's a, a speech from a key leader who agrees with our line of persuasion uh, and disagrees with the Taliban. Or in the case of the Russians, maybe it might be having a trusted American say it as opposed to having some Russian, some heavily accented Russian dude uh, coming at you from the Internet Research Agency. So this, I mean, this approach sounds like a lot like social engineering. Could one just call it social engineering in a way? Sure. I mean, I there's not a lot different between what a psychological operations specialist does and what a market a research team does. The Internet research agency could just as well be a marketing firm, but they decided to put their hat towards evil. And here's where we are. Okay. So that that's the, the process about going about figuring out who you want to target. Um, how do you specifically now seed misinformation into the social media process? Because like you, you were just talking about sharing information. Um, how do we tilt that to misinformation now? Well, there's tons of different, so the, the worst it's, it's, kind of the principal role the prince one of the big kind of rules of psyop is to do your best never to lie i might selectively exclude information so that the target audience is more likely to believe what i want but, but try to yeah that's that's true of all human interaction right the uh mm -hmm. i don't tell you my entire backstory when i gave you that little cliff note narrative about myself um i'm influencing you with facts but I'm leaving out whatever, leaving out that I went to school at West Virginia University, because maybe that is just irrelevant. Uh, maybe that might change somebody's opinion. If they're from Pitt, for instance, they might not listen to what I have to say. Uh, <laughs> so so all, all, every time that we as humans communicate, we, we do bias the way that we're describing things. Misinformation, uh, there's, there's several different types, and you can selectively emit things. Um, but you can also, and we see it quite a bit with the way that uh, the Russians are using it, they will simplify an argument and then will drag us down into into baser arguments where it, it's it, in almost every argument, particularly complex matters of policy, there's there's a ton of things that it's, it's rare that just one side has the full correct of it. Um, but when you can drill it down into us versus them on any given issue, um, then it doesn't matter if you only agree with 40% of my message. You're now committed to 100% of what I have to say um, just because we've turned it into an us versus them scenario. Misinformation does a lot of that. Uh, misinformation is also, you find, there's there's three types of messaging in, in a certain context. We call them black, white, and gray. White messaging is when I very clearly, I'm Jonathan Nichols, you know this message is coming from me. Um, it's, I'm never going to lie. It, usually the Russians are smart enough not to, though they've been misstepping on that lately. Uh, I'm not going to put out intensive, intentionally deceptive information over white because my credibility is at stake. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to, if you, particularly when I'm in uniform, right? I'm, I've got the badge of the United States when I'm in uniform and I'm walking up to somebody. I need to make sure that every single time the United States says something, you believe that to be true. Um, so that way, when we do things like like in the uh, the when we took back Fallujah from uh, from Al Qaeda, we we dropped leaflets that said, "Hey, we're coming tomorrow 
If you want to stay and fight, stay and fight. But the Marines are coming in tomorrow. I need the audience to believe that. There needs to be no question at all. Uh, so I will never, I will never conduct a operation that has any measure of deceptiveness if I'm, if I'm wearing the hat of the United States. Um, and you see that is also true online to a large part, at least for the U.S. Again, not so much for the Russians these days with the Ukraine stuff going on, with Ukrainian stuff going on. Um, but so the other the other types are gray, which is much like when I have a sock puppet. Um, I, might, I, mean, I might be communicating a message. I'll be communicating a message that maybe I don't want attributed back to me. So I'll use a sock puppet to communicate. Well, that let's define that for our audience who may not know. So a sock puppet being a non-attributable source. So my a Twitter account that I might have that doesn't explicitly have my name on it. Um, that would be that would be a sock puppet. Um, okay. You have no idea. You have no idea quite who I am, who or who is behind that screen name. Um, that that would be a, a instance of gray psyop using a Twitter sock puppet. A black psyop is when I'm intentionally being deceptive, and that is when I'm most likely to lie. I will uh, to use the sock puppet example. I'll use a an account that is falsely attributed to somebody else. Um, say I want to pretend to be a pastor in your local school district area and i really have an issue with the superintendent um i don't i don't actually at all but i want you to believe that his mass policy is bullshit so i'll create an account pretending to be a pastor who's concerned about the superintendent's mass policy in order to generate a fake message mm -hmm. um that is that is black psyop and it is um it does it's not you don't always have to lie using black psyop but it's when you're intentionally deceiving who the messenger is. The the misinformation comes in, is the message itself truthful or not? And oftentimes. So to, to prepare for such operations, are these accounts that they have instantly created or have they, would someone see these accounts um, for a long period of time, allow them to build up trust in in the community or karma in the reddit page or however you want to look at it certainly the most credible ones have uh try to have a long-standing regular interaction with the community and don't uh, they'll do karma farming on twitter on reddit specifically uh so that they have that credibility within the communities built up so that when it comes time to disrupt and degrade they can do it you saw the same with twitter with the uh some of the conservatives some of the major conservative accounts um the tn the tngop account was actually an internet research agency account and that was one of the mass most massive uh conservative accounts on twitter not to pick on conservatives exclusively there were a, quite a bit of lgbtq community members who were actually russian puppets at the time of the 2016 election so it wasn't just the it wasn't just one side or the other that fell for it we kind of all did Oh, so to kind of seed that doubt and to create that mistrust in the institution of our nation, they kind of played all sides against each other. Yeah. So according to uh, Director Clapper, who was a who was director of CIA for a while, um, as well as some other some of the major positions high up, the three objectives in 2016 were to cast out in the U.S. electoral process writ large to uh, to to uh, reduce confidence in Hillary Clinton as a leader, and then to uh, to increase support for Donald Trump. 
And so a lot of that, I, I'm sure we saw a good bit at the time where Bernie Sanders supporters just completely dropped out in much larger frequency than we've seen otherwise. They didn't get with the bandwagon of the Democratic Party, uh, it's, which is, you know, some some of that is is truthful, what those people felt. And I'm sure no single individual will say that they were psyoped into doing so. But um, the data shows that it happened in such incredibly large numbers, and a lot of them did flip over to Trump. And we have evidence. We have the we have the messages. You can go back and find all the Internet Research Agency posts that were given to this uh, House Select Intelligence Committee um, that are better public knowledge. You can see that the Russians paid for ads using these accounts in rubles to target people like LGBT supporters of Bernie Sanders to to get them to hate Clinton so much that they would not flip over. Um, yeah, so it, it happened to all sides and it will happen to all sides in every instance. Um, don't, nobody should think that their side of any given debate is uh, immune to this type of activity. So, so how would one potentially even know if they're being psyoped? I would suggest that everybody make sure to check their sources before posting things, particularly when we're looking at things like what's what's going on in Ukraine right now. Um, I don't know about you, but I definitely fell for a couple instances this time around, um, and I'm trained in this. I really fully thought that Pornhub blocked Russians from watching porn in support of Ukraine. It turned out that was pro-Ukrainian propaganda that I fell for because I wanted to believe it. Uh, so look, fact check everywhere you can. And that's just a fun example. But uh, on all sides, there's going to be people that are going to to try to control the narrative. Ukrainians did a great job of controlling the narrative this time. I happen to agree with the narrative. But I, so, so it works out for what I for where my biases are. But uh, you should be aware that even your side is doing it. Um, so the Russians for, are just bad at it this time around. Yeah. So, for example, if. If your your cause was say um, pro energy generated in the U.S. and you were trying to seed misinformation, um, I'm, a West, I'm a West Virginian. I'm right here for it. Exactly. So um, if that was your cause, someone might sow misinformation by um, overstating the facts or understating the facts. Is that how they would go about doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could tell you that there's a lot of anti-coal rhetoric that that is just absolutely bunk. Um, even, even though I'm all for clean energy, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but let's uh, let's that's a different topic. <laughs> that's, that's a little close to home. Sorry about that. Um, I, I'm just trying to think because R- Russia is a a huge. Um, exporter of fuel, uh, of oil. So their manipulation of production will affect our bottom line. So they might, they might go, well, let's, let's just produce in the U S and, uh, or not produce in the U S and you need us for your oil. Oh, certainly. I wouldn't be surprised if there was attempts to, to run, campaigns that, that get us to fight ourselves over whether we should produce any energy in the U.S. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Russia would probably, if I were if I were a Russian propagandist putting myself in their shoes right now on that specific issue, I would be pushing for 
I would be making the, the fight everywhere that the U.S. should adopt energy solutions that are 40 years out. So the we, the cleanest energy is fusion. We better do that. And I'd be having my sock puppet saying that shit so that we're still stuck on the Russian oil teeth for the next 40 years because that would uh, support Russia's short-term security goals. Um, so that would be an instance where that might be something you're doing without they they're doing without us even thinking about. Um, I have no evidence of that. That's just a concept. Uh, a I could see how that would happen. Yeah. So th this show is focused on individuals breaking into cybersecurity. Uh -huh. So if we were to apply the concepts of OSINT or op open source information, how would we go about potentially validating? Um, information to ensure that who says it is really who says it how deep would you dig if you were trying to find out um if a source were valid or not and how would you go about it well i'll tell you the very first thing i do is read an article before retweeting it or reposting it that for whatever reason and i'm sure we're all guilty of it a little bit that is that's just the biggest thing that we really need to do actually read the damn thing before you retweet it um, too many people get caught out appearing to support things that they had no idea they supported because they appear to support because they didn't read the article they retweeted. So before you post anything, make sure you read what you're posting to make sure that you fully agree with it and not just the headline that you saw. Uh, second, make sure that you're getting that when you're posting, you're posting from as credible a source as possible. It's always fun to be at the at the root of things to be the you pull the, the first one to pull it from the dredges of Reddit or the the Discord channels or wherever the kids are talking these days. I found it on TikTok. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I post that post that to a larger audience. Um, but make sure one be as close to the source as possible, and two get as uh, when you're not as close to the initial source as possible. So you can't call up the the hacker who did the vulnerability and can't independently test a vulnerability in the space. Uh, try to get try to get validation from two or three other sources. Um, it, in any instance, when you're posting, when you're reposting an article, just make sure to the same way when you're writing a report. Make sure that your bibliography is covered before you make any claims that you can't validate. Um, otherwise, you're just part of the problem. I, I mean, that goes against the. the the heart of being human, right? You just want the easy way out. And how dare I find three people to validate a, a source before I post it on social media. <laughs> I wish people treated it more like Wikipedia where, where you're going to get in trouble if you don't, you're, if someone's going to come by and clean up your edit if you don't source it. So drop <laughs> a source. Uh, and make sure that your sources are credible or you're going to be in trouble. Um, you end up accidentally appearing to support things that you had no idea that you supported or saying shit that's absolutely wrong stuff that's absolutely wrong i'm sorry <laughs> that that's okay we we tell youtube that on um, this show is not made for kids just for that reason right um, <laughs> so we we talked about a variety of different topics anything we missed that that you wanted to cover um about misinformation that we haven't discussed yet Let's see. I do. Uh, go through my notes here. Um, touch it in a little bit, but I want to highlight that some some groups have gone through and done uh, significant research on. Uh, actually, let's just start with 
some of the resources I use when I'm looking at disinformation in spaces that I'm not already. So I, I was super focused on Iraq and Afghanistan for a good bit of my career. Um, when I'm looking for for resources, people who dedicate their lives to misinformation uh, at a broader strategic level. I find DFR Labs, that's Delta Foxtrot Romeo. DFR Lab from the Atlantic Council is a really good source. I also find that uh, Bellingcat, Bellingcat, all one word. Cat, <laughs> meow, belling like a bell. <laughs> the act of bell, I don't know. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Bellingcat. All one word. Uh, they also have a lot of really good stuff going on. There's a few others out there, um, but I I haven't vetted them all independently. So those, so those are the two that I can stand by and say that I, I personally trust, and would would post about would would post a link after reading their article without too much without too much additional validation. Um, so from people like that, we find that uh, when trolls ingest themselves in discussion, there's a What's the term in the internet? There's a law. I forget what it is. But uh, anybody who says Nazi loses the argument. Or every discussion, every discussion in the on the internet will eventually devolve into somebody being a Nazi. And the first person to do that automatically loses. I forget what the rule is. At least you know what I'm talking about, right? No, I haven't heard that rule before. But somebody's sure going to say it. in in propaganda theory it, that could be true. I'll I'll have to take the experts' um, opinion for it. <laughs> I'll find it for you. It's it's not so much a propaganda thing; it's an old school internet thing. But um, so as the as the Russian trolls got into uh, got into these Reddit threads or these Twitter threads, they intentionally worked to to simplify the argument to two sides. Uh, so that that's a measure of cognitive complexity is is the term that the researchers I'm referencing used. Uh, and as the so the cognitive complex complexity is the concept that two sides that not all or that the complex topics are not two sided. Um, the example, reduction clean reduction clean energy has yeah. many sides to it. Right, reduction in complex and cognitive complexity. Is the is turning an argument into an us versus them? You're either it's either heads or tails. It cannot be cannot be shades of gray, right? Um, yeah. So clean energy is a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah, which is why I'm not touching it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is also an increase in identity attacks. You know, there's more people telling somebody that they're an idiot because they believe something, as a, and this noticeably goes up when when uh, misinformation actors get involved in these discussions. There's a significant increase in, uh, in the toxicity, the, just the general use of negative terms when you do a uh, uh, taxonomy of negative words. And because and, I'm not going to read every single post in Reddit, but I will have my AI do it. And it will it'll be like, man, these people are really pissed off. They're saying a whole bunch of negative words. Uh, so the toxicity goes up, identity attacks go up, and the, and the ability for the arguments complexity goes down uh, when we see these trolls engage. Uh, so watch out for that and do your best uh, as, as an audience to, to add nuance to conversations, de-escalate the rhetoric. The thing that's toxic to the trolls is to have those complex discussions, to add that complexity and just be kind and loving to people you disagree with. Um, but the best way to beat trolls is to be loving and kind and to check your damn sources. You do, <laughs> you do those things and you're doing great. <laughs> so, what, 
Here's a question. I, I, I just thought about it. Do you think that they break down the complexity because there's a language barrier or you're more than familiar with the language and you're purposefully doing that? I, I, I'm sure it's purposeful. There is a, there's an obvious intent to make this simple. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it makes it easier to recruit lesser uh, people who are less fluent in English. Um, it doesn't, doesn't take a rocket surgeon to say Clinton is evil. Um, <laughs> yes, our audience is saying, check your sources. Yes. Absolutely, Dorian. Absolutely. So we have a couple minutes left. Uh, any, any last parting words? If actually someone wanted to, say, follow your career um, <laughs> or a similar career into uh, information warfare and disinformation, um, how would one go about doing that? Sure. I would, again, look at uh, fellowships at places like DFR Labs. I know that they have a, uh, a student internship program. There is no, there's no college course for, for disinformation, at least not that I know of. Maybe there's a new one out of Columbia that's come up in the last couple of years. But uh, to my knowledge, there's no, there's no dedicated course on this stuff. So identifying where you can get it, uh, find those, find those internships at DFR Labs, find those internships at Bellingcat uh, to get into disinformation stuff. And, and your your use of um, what's called uh, human sourcing. What, what do you call it in, in hacking? I forget. Human. No, not human. That's a military term. Um, <laughs> Well, in cybersecurity, we call it OSINT, which is OSINT. open source yeah. information. Well, your, your OSINT stuff is always good. And make sure that that's just check your sources stuff. But um, hacking humans, there's a freaking term for it. That's That would be the, the closest. Social engineering. Thing. social engineering. Social engineering is the closest infosec thing to uh, to. To, to psychological operations. I would say that uh, as somebody who does both, has a cybersecurity career and a misinformation career, um, I have found it most useful when trying to figure out what the humans behind the keyboards are doing. We're not, we're not doing the InfoSec career just to create firewall rules or Yara rules or snort scripts. <laughs> we're, ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stop bad people from hurting good people. Uh, and that's why it's a noble career field. Um, and so oftentimes I find that people in InfoSec get so caught up in the individual rules or the individual vulnerability. And you know, that's perfectly good, but why are the people doing it? Think about the the Eastern European actor that is that is conducting the ransomware campaign. Um, what alternatives do they really have? They can make a couple hundred thousand dollars a month doing this with no real repercussions, or if you want them to have a legitimate career, where are they supposed to go? They, they don't have access to anything. It's $300 a month, maybe if they're lucky, a good paying job in their hometowns. Uh, we so often pay attention to the bits and the bytes and not the people behind the keyboard. And I think a lot more focus needs to be paid on who the bad actors are. I mean, yeah, what they're doing. Sure, we need to understand their tactics, techniques, and procedures. But the why they are doing it is super important and I find is often missing in the InfoSec narrative. Wow. Well, John, thank you very much for coming on and sharing this useful information. Uh, truly appreciate it. And so for everyone that's following us on LinkedIn, follow myself and John. For those of you on YouTube, 
hit subscribe and then that notification button. And for those of you on podcast, feel free to share this with everyone that's interested in cybersecurity or misinformation today. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.